Oprah has endorsed her work as revolutionary and life-changing. Whether you're a parent or find yourself around kids or have friends with kids, then you'll get so much out of this conversation about conscious parenting. I'm Ali Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness and to finding meaning amongst the mess. Dr. Shivali Tishabari's groundbreaking approach to mindful living and parenting has taken her books to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. I found this conversation engaging, captivating and challenging at times, but challenging in a really good way. Dr. Shafali received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, specialising in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She brings together the best of both worlds in her work and you'll hear this in the conversation that we have together. Her blend of clinical psychology and Eastern mindfulness sets her apart as a leader in the field of mindful psychology. In this conversation, we talk about what is conscious parenting, the importance of emotional expression over emotional control, and how to respond consciously in those moments of meltdown and shame, either your own or your kids, which generally happens in public. (laughs) Dr. Shivali is traveling down under at the end of April as part of her The Conscious Parent Tour. She has generously provided a code for you to receive $50 off any tickets that you might want to go along and I would encourage you to do that. The code is Ali50. We will share that at the end of this podcast as well. We'll be providing the links in the show notes and you can go to at Flourish and Co events on Instagram for all the details of her tour. To find out the core pillars of conscious parenting and why doing your own work is the key to allowing our kids to be who they are, please soak up the wisdom that is Dr. Shivali. Dr. Shivali, it is just an absolute delight to be connecting with you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here as well. I'm keen to talk to you specifically about conscious parenting. Now, you've got a book called The Conscious Parent, and this April you're doing a tour across Australia and New Zealand. What is a conscious parent? Well, it is a radically transformative way to parent our kids and very new and different from the way we were parented. So the three pillars of conscious parenting, to put it very briefly, the first one is that this approach focuses on the raising of the parent's consciousness rather than fixated on the raising of the child. And when that focus changes from fixing or curating the perfect child to raising the parent's consciousness, the entire approach changes. It's a game changer. It changes the way our children feel worthy and how they continue to live their lives. So this is what I'm going to really be focusing on when I come on my tour to all these cities in Australia. The second main pillar is that a lot of the way we parent our children are heavily influenced by the way we were parented. So we believe that we are parenting the child before us, but in actuality, we're just parenting how we were parented. And that does a great disservice to who our children are and how they're supposed to embody their own essence and manifest their own destiny. We kind of abduct that process and make them our minions to fulfill the fantasy that we had for them based on how we were parented. And then the third core principle is that we don't raise the child 
we wish we had or should have, but we connect to the child before us. Most of us parents are raising a child out of our fantasy and not really connecting to the child in front of us, either because the child in front of us is so different than our fantasy or against what we wanted, but we project onto our child all our fantasies and expectations that really come out of our own lack. And, and because of that lack, we create a, an alter ego in our children. We make them become something they're not. So then they live in false self, like we lived in false self in order to meet our parents' expectations. And then they're an ego, and then they will go on to live a life searching for the truth, searching for their authentic self, and these dysfunctional cycles continue. So conscious parenting breaks that cycle, or at least tries to minimize that egoic uh, development in the child so that they live as close to their essence as possible. They're so deep, those three pillars, and there's a real inward reflection, almost mirror, that you know I can feel even my heart racing as you're t- describing some of those, you know, changing and reflecting how I was parented um, and that sense of fantasy that we might have in the image of our own children. What was it that brought you to exploring and then kind of educating others around conscious parenting? So I had a a degree in clinical psychology and I was working with a lot of parents and seeing that parents and children are disconnected and trying to find the finger on the pulse, you know, trying to put my finger on the pulse. But I couldn't really until I became a mom myself. And when I became a parent, I was really appalled. In a, in a, and I'm saying this with self-compassion, but I was in no way prepared for how much my own childhood would influence my parenting. I had no idea how I would be blinded by my own lack and how I would project my needs and expectations on my child. I was just taken aback. But I observed myself doing this because I had done years of mindfulness You know, so sometimes ignorance is bliss, but I didn't have that because I was mindful. So I was able to see the the vociferousness of my ego in a blatant, brutal way, and it appalled me, you know, with compassion, I say this. And it inspired me and activated me to really put it in check. And then I saw how hard it was to put it in check. You know, it was so difficult because we've been told that we own our children in some way. So I was really in a battle between letting them, letting my child be free and the idea that our children are free uh, battled with the idea that I own her, so therefore she's not free and she's mine. So I was really fighting this and finally came to my own epiphany which then led me to create or, you know, start this movement called Conscious Parenting and help other parents because I had compassion for all of us. I realized if I have this big fat ego, so does everyone else. We just don't talk about it because it's in the closet of, uh, of the shadows of parenting. You know, we don't want to talk about our ego. We act like we only love our children. But this ego that we have, which is ubiquitous, needs to come out of the closet. So as I came out of the closet to myself, and began to own my ego and really take charge of it. And it's embarrassing, you know. You don't want to say to, you don't want to own to yourself or others that, you know, you made them study piano because you always wanted to study piano. You know, you want to pretend like, no, my kid wanted to study piano. 
you know, but, but to own these things takes a lot of courage. But I figured that if I could set the path by being honest, by exposing my own foibles, maybe I will allow other people to own their own. And in doing so, we can release our children. You know, my goal is, you know, forget your ego, I tell the parents. You know, it doesn't matter. This is not about you. This is about setting your children free. And uh, so as I set myself on this mission to set my child free, I began to get other people on the path and uh, make them see the power of liberating their egos so that they could liberate their children. I feel the, um, that tension and where you describe sometimes we don't know about how we parent until we become parents and we're tired and we're in the mix. And I know for myself, you know, I, to hear my parents' words come out of my mouth to my child or my children, it's in those moments of um, recognising. And I guess what you're describing is, is doing the work whilst recognising the parenting along the way. In terms of conscious parenting and even though that call to they're not your children, there's not an ownership, but really allowing them to be who they are, it can feel like the opposite of that is, uh, you know, allowing them to kind of run wild or run amok. Is there, as a conscious parent, how do you teach what's okay or guide behaviours, teach what's okay and what's not okay to our children while still recognising the sense of being a conscious parent. Right, right. So many people ask me that because somehow the fallacy is that if we allow our children to follow their own knowing and at least approach them with that awareness that they are the leaders of their own destiny, then the opposite of that means complete anarchy. But the opposite of that simply means that we don't allow them to follow their own destiny, which means we suppress their destiny. It doesn't mean that then they will wa run wild. That is the addition. You know, it's like saying if somebody doesn't get a formal school education, then they're going to be dumb and criminals, right? That is an assumption. The opposite of somebody not of somebody going to school is somebody not going to school. That's all. You know, we don't know what the adjectives or judgments would be. We place that out of presumption. So when I tell parents, you know, the approach of conscious parenting is to tune into your child's essence and understand who it is they are and allow them to be the leaders in their life, it doesn't mean that they are allowed to smoke pot at the age of three and be alcoholics by the age of eight. It, where did that even come into the picture, right? It, it just means having the approach where you allow them to be in the driver's seat of their life within reason you know, with an understanding of their developmental capacities and cognitive abilities. We don't tell a kid to take the wheel of the car at the age of seven because we know they can't cognitively handle that, right? So this is not stupid parenting. It, it's conscious parenting. Conscious parenting means to be conscious that our children are, in, in their, are meant to be in their essence and not meant to follow our ego. And a lot of our leadership of our children comes out of our ego. So conscious parenting means to become conscious of that. That's all. You know, and, and sometimes when parents hear that, they go, oh, that means I'm going to just let go of all control. You see, letting go of control brings about such a, a deep stress within us that it creates all this panic within the parent. What I'm interested in is 
conscious parenting in 2022. So we've had a very disruptive couple of years, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of fear as parents and in our families. Why is conscious parenting maybe more important now? Or what is it that that you would like people to be thinking of in, in 2022 in the way that they parent? You know, every era seems to have its own face of disconnection. And this era seems to have the disconnection promulgated by technology. So now we're seeing an extreme uh, isolation in children, increased competitiveness and comparison because of social media. And this, this FOMO, this not fitting in, these are the current faces of unconsciousness. Every you know, era has its own faces of disconnection. Perhaps at one time it was war and, and famine and violence. And now it's social media disconnection and technological you know, uh, isolation. So it, it is alarming, but I remind myself that this is just another face of unconsciousness. And uh, however, because children thrive in community and they need connection, this technological isolation that we're seeing where children are increasingly talking to machines and through machines and living in this animated, superficial, artificial world, that is really alarming, you know. When you go for dinner out now, you see young children on iPads you don't see them doodling or crying or suffering their emotions because that's too much work for parents now. So we are just shoving them into iPads and they're growing up with these surrogate technological connections rather than real authentic connections. So that I would say is the most alarming downturn and shadow of technology. In your book, you talk about the concept of many of us are taught to value emotional control over emotional expression. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we were pretty much raised with the um, adage, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. So what that means is that, you know, we, are, uh, we can be around as ornaments and puppets of our children's, of our parents' fantasies, but we can't really make too much noise or be too much trouble. And we should play small so that we allow our parents to feel big. So with these indoctrinated conditionings and dictums that now live within us, we now pass these on to our children. So if our children have a lot of tears or a lot of anxieties, this brings up anxiety within us because we were never allowed to befriend our emotions, right? We were taught to suppress them and deny them, repress them. So because of this, when our children now face big emotions, we get petrified, right? It makes us feel very helpless. We want to be in control because we were told control is more valuable than expression. So we seek to stifle our children. And in doing that, we again suppress them and then the cycle will continue. Big emotions are just big emotions. They technically just pass through the body. You can cry and you won't break. And it would have all been okay if we were just allowed to go through the emotions. But because our emotions scared our parents so much, because they in turn were not raised with expression and befriending their emotions, we just have been passing on this dysfunctional generational pattern, you know, generation after generation. 
not to be afraid of those those big emotions. I want to ask you a really practical question. So in that moment of heightened emotion, say a child is having a full-blown meltdown, often in a public space, uh, Maybe you've tried that as a parent that tried that, you know, soft-spoken talk to them, but it's just making it worse. And it's now impacting everyone within the vicinity so you can feel that kind of societal pressure. How would you recommend that we react with a, with a level of consciousness in that, in that moment? It's really difficult. So you're at the store and your kid is having, you know, a tantrum beyond a tantrum you feel judged, you feel shamed, you feel like you're getting an F grade as a parent, you feel angry at your child because you, you know, they promised you that they would behave and now look at them. So these feelings are so normal. And of course, many times you're going to lose it. But if in one moment you're able to be conscious, the conscious approach would be to just let the big feelings pass. You know, suffer the, the stares of the passerbys don't take on the judgment, you know, stare them right back and, and tell them this is how children are, this is normal, and validate yourself that you're not a bad parent. This is just a child having a meltdown because children don't know how to articulate their emotions. Their brain is not developed. They are not bad children. You are not a bad parent. And, you know, you kind of just do a lot of therapy for yourself as you suffer the shame of you know, of other people trying to put you down. It's really difficult because the other people are the problem, right? They make you feel so bad. If you were all alone in the store, you'd be like, go ahead, scream. But because we've been raised to, uh, to desire social approval, when we feel or project that we are not getting it, then that makes us just turn upside down, right? We want people to see us as competent. And it brings up all our shame from childhood, our inner critic from childhood, so it's really hard, but conscious parenting requires a lot of self-coaching and a lot of allowing, permission giving, and understanding that culture won't give you the permission, but you need to give yourself the permission. And then you give your child the permission to have big feelings. You know, children are allowed to cry. They are supposed to cry. That's how they express themselves. And there's nothing wrong with it. But we have so much judgment, you know. I remember getting off a long flight. It was like a, an international flight. My daughter was two and a half, and she was losing it at the carousel. And people were just, like, so upset with me, you know. And maybe I projected all of it. I don't know. But they made, I'm just blaming them. They made me feel so bad, although no one can make us feel anyway. I was just convinced that they are just making me feel so bad. But um, because they were, like, glaring at me. But again, I could have imagined the whole thing because I was feeling so bad and out of control. And were I to do it again, I would not feel any shame. You know, I, I'm such a more conscious parent now, 19 years later. I wish I had known all this then, but I didn't. I had to grow into it. So it's okay. You know, we grow into it. We become aware as we make lots of mistakes. It's a living, breathing experiment. It's not something that any of us could have known before becoming parents, you know. I'm, I'm nodding furiously because I think a lot of people listening will have had similar experiences and, and I distinctly remember a flight where my son was two and a half years old and we, we landed and I think I rang the rest of the family and said, we are not getting on a plane ever again. <laughs> but it, that, that call to parent the parent, to, to really give that compassion to self in that moment is hugely valuable. Yes. In terms of... We, and, you know, I think we're talking about younger kids. 
In terms of tweens and teens, for for a lot of children, as we start to grow up, we're exploring ourselves and boundaries. Is there anything that changes in the way that we approach this stage of development as parents? Oh yeah, when you know, preparing for the teen years is um, um, an art in itself. And if you don't prepare for it, you're going to go under. You're going to be devoured. You're going to be buried, <laughs> chopped up and buried and left there to die. Because the teen years are brutal. You know, why are they brutal? Not, they're only brutal because we've been holding on to our egos. And so if you've been holding on to your ego and you think you're all perfect and you think you have control, then all the more will the teen years bust that and lambast that. And if, they do, if the teenager is kind enough to not do it in their teen years, it's going to come. It's coming. The greater control you have, the greater the snap eventually. So the way to prepare for the teen years is to start releasing, start backing off, start letting your kid make more decisions for themselves. In, in a controlled environment of your home, start creating uh, greater autonomy. Start pushing your kid to own their own decisions, to suffer their own consequences. Start preparing to kind of prepare them for their own uh, rebellion, you know, so that they rebel against themselves, not against you. And teach them to uh, own their mistakes and take charge of their emotions. But this takes preparation, that the teen years are a storm. Uh, they are potentially turbulent because our teens are suffering identity crisis. They're suffering the push and pull of between childhood and adulthood. So they're going to dump on you all those frustrations. And you have to be ready to not take it personally, to give a lot of space and bandwidth for this experimentation that's going to inevitably occur, and that all of this is healthy. They should rebel against you. They should be in the push and pull and the frustration of that push and pull. If a teen is just swimming along with no frustration, that means they're not feeling the push and pull. That means it's going to come. So there is no such thing as bypassing this inevitable storm and turbulence of this identity crisis. It is a normal thing to go through an identity crisis because you're between the child and the adult. And if you don't go through the identity crisis, that means you have not suffered the identity call. That means you are still in the, in the clutches of dependency and you're not fighting the, the pull of autonomy. So it will come later. I have not seen a, an adult who hasn't suffered an identity crisis. They just sometimes they suffer it in their 40s because they go from childhood to college to marriage to parenthood and then they suffer it. But it's going to come because it's, in it's the inevitable healthy stage of development to break free of the cloistered existence of your childhood. Prepare is what I heard in that. Prepare, yes. do the work. Prepare and for it to be beautiful and it's beautiful, you know. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's uh, – yeah, it can be but recognising the importance of that transition, the value of – what it is meant to be. I want to talk to you about boredom in particular and this is a conversation my husband and I often have and when our children come to us they tell us they're bored we often want to solve it fix it good parenting looks like good craft or having solutions for them um, and yet sometimes sitting in that boredom can be really important for children to figure out who they are what might be a conscious way to react if a child or children are coming up to you saying, hey, I'm bored? Yeah, it's, uh, it's to examine what this brings up in you, you know. So for many of us parents, when our kid says they're bored, it's as if they're saying, you know, uh, 
you know, help me, I'm dying. You know, the way we, we feel responsible to fix that boredom is as if there's some crisis. And all of this uh, projection onto boredom comes because we can't tolerate boredom in our own lives. And we want entertainment all the time. So because we're so uncomfortable with just being or just lazing or just sitting or just contemplating or reflecting like we used to do when we were kids, we have increasingly become so insatiably dependent on stimulation that we think our kids are also going to fall apart without it. So when a kid comes and says, I'm bored, it's as if they're saying, I'm dying. Because the way we want to go and entertain them and, and control their boredom is in, insane. So the conscious approach is to, to understand that boredom is just a passing phase. And children do feel bored because they are meant to adapt and cultivate a sense of connection. So boredom is the step right before connection. So if we take away that boredom and give them something, we actually ruin their chance at arriving at their own imagination, which is their own self-connection. So we actually mess it up. And all, only and all because it creates anxiety within us. Because our own relationship to those gaps in entertainment and gaps in stimulation cause so much discomfort in ourselves. No matter how hard we try, there are times where we fail and we might react in, in the moment unconsciously as parents. What's the best thing to do when we notice this? Oh, it's just to know that it's normal to have compassion, to uh, learn from it, to ask yourself what came up for me in that moment, to be intrigued, to lean into it, to not shame, to understand this is absolutely inevitable on your path to evolution. Don't even call it a failure, call it a natural glitch and a beautiful exposure to your own wounds. And now it's up to you to take that opportunity to heal those wounds. So we say thank you to our teachers, our children. We say sorry that they are the guinea pigs of our evolution, but uh, we're so grateful that we get this opportunity. How can we evolve if we don't see ourselves devolve, right? We, and the, the people who pay the price for our uh, triggers and our reactions are our intimate others and especially our children because children are annoying at times so they are going to get it and they are around us all the time so it's inevitable that we react upon them and so we thank them we you know heal from it and we grow from it and that's the best we can uh, hope for you know not to put this inordinate pressure on ourselves that we're supposed to never lose it I mean that's just complete ego yeah, they're going to be annoying. We're going to annoy them. It's about that pathway yes. to kind of learn and do the work. For those interested in coming along to your sessions across in your tour around Australia and New Zealand, what can they expect to explore and, and let us know when those, those dates will be? Yes, I'm so excited to be coming to Australia and New Zealand. So my tour starts on April 24th in Perth then to Adelaide, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and then on to Auckland. So between the uh, month of, uh, between the dates of April 24th and May 6th, I'll be touring six cities. I hope people will come with their friends and family. If they're listening to your podcast, we're giving them a special $50 off uh, with the code ALI50, I believe, A-L-I-5-0. Um, and they can just go to the link. I hope you post the link and they can buy tickets for the event. 
Brilliant. Yeah, look, we will definitely put that discount code ALLY50 with the link as well for those that can go along because there's a huge amount of work to be done um, and so much delight and excitement out the other side of, of the work which is the invitation that you are providing to to parents and to families. I've loved this conversation. I'd love to wrap up with one final question. The name of this podcast is called Stand Out Life. What does that mean to you when you hear that term? What does it mean to live a standout life? I think it just means to step out of your own ego and come into the bare honest transparency of your authentic self you know as close as you can get to that self that is a standout life to me that's worth doing the work thank you so much dr shivali thank you for having me ali If you've enjoyed today's episode, then there's every chance that you might also enjoy reading a copy of my book called Stand Out, a real world guide to get clear, find purpose and become the boss of busy. You can grab a copy by heading to my website, www.alisonhill.com.au. If you liked what you heard in this episode, I'd love it if you could take a few moments, pop over to iTunes and give this podcast a quick rating so that we can continue to share these conversations with people around the world. As always, I'm Ali Hill and this is Standout Life.